Thanks so much for listening to the Clifton Church of Christ sermon podcast. We really appreciate you taking the time to listen, and we hope if ever you're in Clifton, Texas, you'll stop by and say hello. We hope you enjoy this sermon. We've been doing this series called The Good Life, and if you haven't been a part of this series or haven't followed along with us, we've been looking at the books of Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Job, and how all three of them, in my opinion, are trying to get us to think about what it means to live well in this world. Not what it means to live the good life that the world attributes, but the life that God would say, this is how I designed this for you to live. And Proverbs is a really fun book. It's really easy for us because it's very comfortable for us to see just all the ways in which when you make some good choices, good things happen often. And whenever you choose bad things, often bad things will happen. And so it's very helpful. But then you've got these books, Ecclesiastes and Job, that kind of throw a wrench in things a little bit. But I think it's very important that we have all three of these perspectives. And and I have good news for you too. This is my fourth and last Ecclesiastes sermon for this series. But I believe that if you haven't heard any of the first three, I don't think that you will be missing out. Um, I think that this one in some ways could kind of be a pretty good tie on the whole thing. And so Ecclesiastes chapter 9 is where we're going to read from, and I believe this one passage is probably one of the best examples of the whole book because it has all that you need in it. It has wisdom, it has bleakness, it has despair, it has truth, and all those things are very helpful when reading Ecclesiastes. So I hope you bear with me. This is a pretty good chunk of reading. Um, But I want you to hear these words, and I want you to let them do their work. Let them marinate. Ecclesiastes chapter 9 verses 1 through 12. The teacher says, so I reflected on all this and I concluded that the righteous and the wise, uh, that the righteous and the wise and what they do are in God's hands. That's good news. But no one knows whether love or hate awaits them. What? (laughs) It's kind of a downer. The righteous and the unrighteous, they're in God's hands, but we don't know what waits for them, love or hate. All share a common destiny the righteous and the wicked, the good and the bad, the clean and the unclean, those who offer sacrifices and those who do not, those who attend Wednesday night church and those who don't. As it is with the good, so it is with the sinful. As it is with those who take oaths, so it is with those who are afraid to take them. This is the evil in everything that happens under the sun. The same destiny overtakes all. The hearts of people, moreover, are full of evil and there is madness in their hearts while they live. And afterward, they join the dead. Anyone who is among the living has hope. Even a live dog is better than a dead lion. For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing. They have no further reward, and even their name is forgotten. Don't forget that this part about the name being forgotten, that's not just like, oh, what's your name again? It's not that. It means a lot more than that. Their love, their hate, and their jealousy have long since vanished. Never again will they have a part in anything that happens under the sun. Go, eat your food with gladness and drink your wine with a joyful heart. For God has already approved what you do. Always be clothed in white and always anoint your head with oil. Enjoy life with your wife whom you love all the days of this hevel, meaningless life that God has given you under the sun. All your meaningless days. For this is your lot in life and in your toilsome labor under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. For in the realm of the dead where you are going, there is neither working nor planning nor knowledge nor wisdom. I have seen something else under the sun. 
The race, does not, the race is not to the swift or the battle to the strong, nor does food come to the wise or wealth to the brilliant or favor to the learned, but time and chance happen to them all. Moreover, no one knows when their hour will come. As fish are caught in a cruel net or birds are taken in a snare, so people are trapped by evil times that fall unexpectedly upon them. All right, y'all have a great rest of your week. Um, now that's pretty, that's pretty tough, right? And you have to ask the question, why is this in here? The first thing I want to ask and think about why is this in here is I believe, and the church is very guilty of this problem, there are a lot of people out there who when they think about the church, they think about the fact that if I want to be a part of that, I've got to turn off my brain and I've got to just ignore all these things that happen in life because those are clearly a bunch of delusional people that are just singing their happy songs, acting like life's fine. And that's not, my, not been my experience. I, I was trying to think of a good analogy, but I, I want you to imagine, let's say you're talking with a friend or someone at work and you are bearing your soul to that person, just talking about something awful. You're going through this dark valley in your life. You're bearing your soul to that person. And that person says, oh man, yeah. I, you know, I remember one time I got a fender bender and it was awful. And you're like, I can't, you, you, you have no idea what I'm going through. You can't relate to this at all. I think there's plenty of times in scripture where we pick out these verses about joy and happiness and it can feel inauthentic to people. But then, you get to Ecclesiastes and you have people that have had rough lives or people that have gone through rough seasons of pain and suffering and mourning and they read this passage and they say, this is a book I can read. This is writing that I can feel because this person clearly has thought about some of the things that I've thought about. This is that raw, real talk that I've been looking for. Does that make sense? I believe that that's why this is in here. People often think that you know, we come here and, and we don't want to read passages like this. Like, nobody, let's not bring the mood down, Drew. Let's keep everything up. That can feel very inauthentic and untruthful to life's real pains and real situations. And Ecclesiastes comes, comes in and the teacher says, well, here it is. I am not closing my eyes to these things. I'm not turning off my brain to these painful things. This is the rough, gritty experience of life and the teacher isn't holding back any punches with this past chapter or what we just read. And one thing that I think is so important to this is that I truly believe that the teacher desires or desired something more from life throughout this whole passage, but he can't see through the smoke or the hevel. Uh, just to, so you know, if you didn't weren't here the first week, this word that we see in Ecclesiastes all the time, hevel, meaningless, meaningless, everything is meaningless, or vanity of vanities, everything is vanity. The literal Hebrew word is smoke. And the idea is not that life has no meaning, but the idea is that every time you think you've grabbed it, just like if you saw a cloud in the sky, a cloud looks so substantive. I mean, you could see it up there and you're like, wow, I can see that. But if you were to try and grab it, it would just be dust in your hand. And that's what he's saying, is he's saying, I'm looking around this life, I'm trying to look at and find reasons to live the right way, to be a righteous person. As he says, he says, the people who are righteous and the wicked, the good and the bad, those who offer sacrifices, those who don't, all of their fate is the same. It all is meaningless because all of us at the end of this are going to die. And, and one thing I want to say, I, I hope I can say this well, 
Steve and I have had good conversations about this, but I believe that from the beginning, God created a purpose and a meaning in life. At the very beginning. But I believe that for this teacher, who in some, so many ways embodies so many people in the Old Testament, the people of Israel in exile in Babylon, the people of Israel trapped in slavery in Egypt, where they just look around and go, God, you told us that if we lived a certain way that, that this good things would happen, but look where we are. It seems so meaningless. It seems so pointless. And I believe the teacher is in the same spot. He desires meaning. He desires purpose in life. But with all the smoke, all the meaninglessness, he's having a hard time finding his way through the hevel, through all of it. Now let's read this passage from Paul. 2 Corinthians 4, 8 through 12. We are hard pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not dismayed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. So then, death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. Why does Paul sound so different than the teacher? Why is Paul able to say all this? And I believe the answer isn't that God is different all of a sudden. The answer is, is that Jesus came and was able to clear out the smoke and able to clear out the hevel. God, through Jesus Christ, has cleared a way through the smoke of meaninglessness and opened a new way. Jesus and God would agree with the teacher. Jesus and God would look at what the teacher was saying and would say, this is true. Life has so much randomness to it, so much pain, so much brokenness. And throughout Scripture, we're going to see it when we get to Job. When Job asks God, why is there all this? Why is there all this? God's answer isn't, oh man, I didn't, I didn't realize when I made the earth that this was going to be involved. Oh, I, let me fix that. He doesn't say that. He says, I am God. And we're going to get there. Don't want to jump ahead. But the point is, is that God and Jesus are both fully aware of the teacher's words, and they knew something had to be done. Not just a new idea, not just a new philosophy, not just something, oh, well, you've got to change your perspective a little bit. Not just a new attitude. God knew he was the one that was going to have to do it. How did God clear the smoke? He broke into this world, and he became one of us and dwelled among us. He took on flesh and brokenness of the world, and he redeemed it and rescued it. He faced the greatest weapon of meaninglessness, death. Here we go again. Death's going to get the last word. Here we go again. This person who's lived this great life all of a sudden dies of leukemia. Man, it all just feels meaningless. Death is going to win once again. Jesus came. He's going to be the Messiah. He's the one that came. He's going to redeem this, rescue this. Oh, he died. Here we go again. Death had the last word. But then he rose on the third day and changed the narrative. In his death and resurrection, God created a new life and a new ending, a resurrected life and an eternal life. So here are the two things that I believe are really important and the two things, the two things that are at stake in Jesus Christ. This is what is at stake in the gospel message. When you go out and proclaim to be a disciple, an apostle of the word of God, this is what is at stake in our world. There are two things that I'm going to bring up. Here's the first one. That our actions are not meaningless. The teacher, if you were to encounter the teacher and meet them on the street, and you were to say, I believe that what I do in this life is not meaningless. All I can picture is them sitting down with a folding chair, 
with a cup of coffee and being like, okay, prove me wrong. How do we do this? And it has to come from Jesus Christ. There is no other way that we can talk about this purpose and meaning we have than the fact that God created us with a purpose and a meaning to be His image bearers, to bless the world, and that He did that in its clearest, most fulfilled, all-encompassing way through Jesus Christ, in the culmination of Jesus Christ. This quote is one of my personal favorite quotes. You're going to get one of my favorite quotes today, and you're going to get one of my second favorite quotes today. So buckle up. This is from N.T. Wright, all right? N.T. Wright is a great Christian author. But this is one thing that he says, and I know it's a long quote. It's, It's two slides worth, but it's a good one. The point of the resurrection is that the present bodily life, what we live now, is not meaningless just because it will die. What you do with your body in the present matters because God has, create, has a great future in store for it. What you do in the present by painting, preaching, singing, sewing, praying, teaching, building hospitals, digging wells, campaigning for justice, writing poems, caring for the needy, loving your neighbor as yourself will last into God's future. These activities are not simply ways of making the present life a little less beastly a little more bearable until the day when we leave it behind altogether. That's not what this is about. They are a part of what we may call building for God's kingdom. Now, I know what I'm going to say is really out there. And so if you want to talk about it more, come to Wednesday night class. But we've lived our whole life with this idea that as long as you have faith in Christ, pretty much everything else that you do here isn't really all that important because someday you're going to get zapped away into heaven. Okay? You see what I'm saying? But then we have the Lord's Prayer where Jesus says, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Why would he pray that if he doesn't think there's stuff for us to do here? We have all these stories where it says that, and then one day, one like the Son of Man will come down, creating new heavens and a new earth. The old will pass and the new shall come. Isaiah 65. Why do we have all these passages where you have this new thing that's being done? And what I believe, and we can talk about it more, but this quote has a lot to do with it for me. It's evident in my heart that what we do with this life has to matter. I do not believe, I cannot, I resist to live in, I refuse to live in a world where what we do every day doesn't matter. And I believe that everything you say, everything you do in the name of Jesus Christ is going to be a part of God's kingdom. What is that going to look like, Drew? I have no idea. Drew, are you saying that because the Vanderpools built that hospital in Haiti, that whenever the new heavens and the new earth come, that hospital is going to be in heaven? I don't know. I don't know what heaven's going to look like, but you know what I know? It's going to be a part of eternity because it was done in the name of Jesus Christ and for his kingdom. This is is what is at stake in Christ. Drew, why do you choose to do this thing when clearly you're just going to die someday? It's all just going to go away. Why waste your time with it? Because I believe that death doesn't have the final answer on what matters in this world, right? We've got to hold on to that. It's incredibly important. And you may think, well, I'm not a preacher, though. All I am, I just make bread. Robin Blakeney, when she makes some bread and takes it to someone who is grieving over the loss... That's going to be a part of God's kingdom. That's a part of eternity. Even though it's now, it's already a part of eternity. It's just breaking bread. No, it's something done in Jesus' name. Anything that you do in the name of Jesus, here on this earth, in this lifetime, will be a part of God's kingdom. I don't know what it's going to look like, but I'm counting on it. Here's the second thing that's at stake with Jesus Christ. I heard a preacher say this once, so I'm going to 
I'm gonna, well, I'll go to the, the second thing that's at stake. Our deaths are not the end of the story. This is what's at stake in Jesus Christ. I heard a preacher say one time, preaching on Ecclesiastes, they said, the teacher in Ecclesiastes had looked at life and done all his mathematical equations. If you like a math metaphor, you're in store. He, had made, he looked at all, his, all this mathematical equations and he said, the last line of the human story is this. Take whatever you have added up so far in life and then multiply it by zero. Death. The end result is always zero. Hevel, meaningless vapor. That at the end of all this, take everything you've done, add it up, and then multiply it by zero. It's just going to be meaningless, pointless. And I believe that part of what's at stake here is that just like our life is not meaningless what we do, death doesn't get to be the final zero on the equation. So here's a great quote. This, here, here is my favorite quote. By the way, it's really easy to be a good preacher when you just use quotes because then you, know, you sound smarter because you're using someone else. But this actually is currently my favorite quote. Some of you have maybe heard me say before that I'm very passionate about funerals. I'm passionate about the way a preacher is trusted with a funeral. There's no, I, I can't imagine there being a greater trust than for someone to trust you to preside over something like that. And when I was writing a paper in college about funerals, I came across this quote. It is incredible. It does say the word damn in it twice, so I hope you forgive me, but it's good, okay? Never forget this quote, ever. There are actually two preachers at every funeral. Death, capital D, death, loves to preach and never misses a funeral. Death's sermon is powerful and always the same. Damn you, damn all of you. I win every time. I destroy all loving relationships. I shatter all community. I dash all hope. I have claimed another victim. Look at the corpse. Look at the open grave. There is your evidence. I always win. Death is running around, running after the pilgrim throng, pointing gleefully at the lifeless body and trying to drown out the songs of resurrection. It is the great privilege of the funeral preacher to shake a fist in the face of death to proclaim again the vow of baptism and the cry of Easter triumph. O death, we reject all your lies. O death, where is your sting? Thanks be to God who gives us the victory in Jesus Christ. So there are, there are two preachers at every funeral. And one of those preachers is death. And they're always there. They never miss a funeral. And the message is hard to drown out. How can we find meaning out of this great sermon? But it is the task of the church and it is the task of the preacher to choose to say, because of what God did through Jesus Christ, this does not have the end of the story. This does not have the answer. And the thing that I believe constantly through Ecclesiastes is that the teacher constantly, I believe the teacher knows about God. I believe the teacher is fully a follower of God. But when Ecclesiastes was written, they just were having a hard time seeing through all the meaninglessness we're having a really hard time. And Jesus came and cleared away through the smoke. So what does this mean to live the good life? This means that in everything you do, you know that there is no answer to the good life unless you are doing it in the name of Jesus Christ. What does this mean to live the good life? This means to have a confidence. By the way, this, this quote does not just belong... Oh, for those of you listening online, this is a quote by Thomas Long. I'm going to give him credit. For those of you who think this is just a, a funeral quote... This is a life quote because every day you see things all over the world that are preaching the message that death wins. 
And we have to be the ones who preach that that's not the end of the story. So here, let me conclude. There are all sorts of ways that you can spend your breath that you have within you. And only one of it has any meaning. Fear God and keep His commandments. Put your faith, hope, and trust in Christ Jesus. Make every word you say, everything you do, all in the name of Christ. That is what it means to live the good life. The teacher tells us, For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing. They have no further reward, and even their name is forgotten. This is true. But then Christ came and died for us and said, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me, I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. I know them by name. He won't forget your name. He doesn't forget your name. If any of you would like to know more about this life and what's at stake in Jesus Christ, we'd love to talk to you about that. If any of you are going through a season of your life where everything just feels meaningless and like you can't see any purpose in it, our elders are going to be standing at the exits while we stand and while we sing this song.